This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. It's so exciting to have two women presidents. I mean, it mightn't mean much to a lot of people and to diehard Demon fans, not a lot at all, but... We football lovers walk a little taller knowing you're there and knowing that there'll be a woman holding up the Premiership Cup. Even as Vice President, I would have never sat there and dreamed one day I would be President of this fabulous football club and leading us potentially to a a grand final and hopefully a Premiership. In the industry, they're known as cosy crime books. It's it's an actual genre. There's a village. Usually there's a bit of humour. Usually there's a cast of eccentric characters. Or if it's Mary Stewart, there's a plucky heroine as well. me that plucky heroine. This is the whole point of the story. The squid was gone. I didn't even have to perform the operation, Corrie. The Nautilus had lost its squid and there it was, just waiting for me to pick it up. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. And welcome everyone to episode 189 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Hello, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Queen of Football. Caro, the winner, the co-winner of the Elf Brown Award this week, it was announced you and Sam McClure, the son of a very dear friend of ours, Jeff McClure, who died uh, oh, a few years ago now. But Caro, I was so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited to be your potting partner and more importantly, your friend. Congratulations on such a great outcome after what is Uh, an intensely difficult year to report any round but the way you've covered footy and winning this award Caro yay oh Corrie that's very kind of you thank you very much it was a great surprise um I really should thank um my colleagues at Channel 9 Chris Thompson and Mitch Finlayson who actually entered for me because I didn't enter this year I wasn't expecting anything like that and you're right Jeff McClure was um someone I worked opposite for many, many years, worked together at um, both the Sydney Olympics and the Athens Olympics, known him since I was, oh, well, when I was, you and I were both covering sport for the first time, you know, back in the well, early 80s. And um, I, Jeff used to talk to me about his son, Sam, and Jeff became sick, you know, he, be, he was diagnosed with cancer and he, he rallied a few times and he fought the great fight for several years. Um, it was so sad when we lost him. Um, I think it was 2010. Um, and Sam, of course, came into journalism. Um, I, I was there for his graduation, funnily enough, because he graduated the same day as my daughter Rose at Melbourne University. And um, and to think that here we are, you know, sharing this award, I just hope that Jeff's up there somewhere smiling and... Um, yeah, it was, it was a great honour. I should thank our wonderful show sponsors, of course, Red Energy, providers of the most satisfi- satisfied customers, 11 years in a row. And we will be opening up the cocktail cabinet, thanks to the Prince Wine Store, because we're going to have to start thinking about what we're going to be drinking on grand final day. And maybe, who knows, Corrie, with a bit more freedom as well. It's with great excitement that in a moment we're going to be talking to Kate Roffey, the president of the Melbourne Football Club, two women presidents... Corrie, going into this year's grand oh. final, both in their first seasons as president. Caro, I, 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 heard, the, I heard the two women interviewed uh, during the week uh, and, and it, it, did t- it did seem to take the media a couple of days to kind of click that there were actually two. You and I were jumping over hoops and, 
and dancing gaily, but um, it seemed to take the male-dominated media a while to figure out, oh, my God, there are two women running these clubs. So anyway, somebody covered it last night. It was an interesting story. I'm so looking forward to talking to Kate. But listening to them the other night, Caro, I, I just thought, without wishing to pat ourselves on the back, stressing that, but I went back to the, the 1981 season when I covered uh, you know, footy being the first woman allowed to be in the dressing rooms, the first woman covering AFL, VFL then, week to week, you coming along a year later, all of the difficulties and dramas that so many women working within the AFL cohort have gone through over the years, so many trailblazers, and to now have two women presidents. It's just so fantastic. It is, Corrie. It is. And, and and thank you for just alerting me to the fact that the Collingwood board member, Bridie O'Donnell, has quit. We actually did a story on her on Wednesday night on Footy Classified. I'm looking forward to asking Kate how she started supporting Melbourne because Bridie O'Donnell, of course, was a Bulldog supporter. And um, when she became a Collingwood director earlier this year in a flurry of controversy, it, it emerged that not only did she not have voting rights, but all these pictures of her emerged in um, Western Bulldogs gear. And um, she put on her Instagram on Saturday night, a Instagram saying, go doggies. So um, I think probably that was just the thin end of the week. <laughs> that might, that might, might have been the nail in the coffin there. No, it was, a, it was a poor appointment, unfortunately. A bit of housekeeping before we introduce Kate, who was in quarantine, as we said, over in Perth. Jennifer Huppert via Instagram loved. She was a Merton Hall student from the 1970s, Melbourne Girls Grammar. Enjoyed hearing my stories about lunchtime visits to the Botanic Gardens and the Temple of the Four Winds. Brought back memories for her as well, Corrie. And Joanna Weir, one of our favourites, her twin granddaughters, Bibi and Lulu, six, have been listening to BBC productions of both ballet shoes and tennis shoes. Remember our comfort reading a few weeks ago? Yeah. Um, she's, it's on Britbox. That, I've seen both those films. Absolutely wonderful and love the books. Carol, do you remember my grumpy from last week about my friend Audrey, not her real name? who uh, had an altercation with a bike rider. An ill-advised um, altercation, Corrie. <laughs> she said she has, uh, she's listened to the podcast. She listened to you having, having um, ticking her off for her behaviour, which was responding to bad behaviour. She said, hi, Corrie, Audrey here. Although I agree with Cara's advice not to engage with road nuts, there are moments when one feels the need to take a stand. I'm tired of middle-aged men on bikes and in cars expressing their personal frustrations over life by abusing women behind the wheel of their own cars. I actually uh, tend to agree with her about that. She's talking about threatening and abusive language um, and then she's rallied off a whole lot of things that she thinks she'll be caught in her lifetime. Um, but she said, my encounter resulted in her bike rider um, breaking her side mirror with a follow-up comment of, you are lucky it's not worse, which I didn't realise in the first telling of the story, which sort of makes it a bit more sinister. She says the mirror is now fixed at no cost because the kindly car service team after hearing her story, said no problem. Um, and she does finish it by saying that gentleman's ass will always look big on that bike. And I take some small comfort from that. <laughs> well, my advice, Audrey, is just smile and wave. Just smile <laughs> and wave. Corrie, there's also been a bit more love for your recommendation of Sarah Winman's Still Life. I think our favourite book this year, Carol and Majda, um, via email, 
is confined um, to South Australia. Her Port Douglas holiday has been cancelled, Queensland border closed, etc. Instead, she's been to the Barossa Valley and then Victor Harbour. She virtually travelled to Florence thanks to Sarah's beautiful book. And, um, oh, look, honestly, that, 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 if only I could read it again and again and again. And have you heard of this other recommendation we've received, the Paris Library book by Janet... I ha- I have seen it, yeah, I have seen it and I haven't read it. But can I just, um, it is a completely different story, um, Carolyn Madger, but, and thanks for your lovely comment about still life. This, uh, a book called This Is Happiness by Niall Williams, which I've talked about before on the podcast. The book clubs are doing it at the moment and I can't wait to hear everybody's opinion in a couple of weeks. But um, it's, it's, as, it's as quaint and as gentle and as beautiful. So if people are still looking for a lockdown light relief, go to This Is Happiness by Niall Williams. And it's my pleasure now, Corrie, to introduce our very special guest, Kate Roffey, the chairman, chairwoman, I should say, president of the Melbourne Football Club. How long have you actually been president, Kate? Has it been even six months yet? Yeah, yeah, just um, I started on the 24th of April, so our um, day before our big game against um, the Tigers. So that was my official start date. So coming up for six months, yes. Actually, it's not even. It'll be five months almost on grand final day. I remember that Anzac Eve game. I watched it from Amsterdam. It was not an enjoyable experience for me, but... I did comment to my daughter and her best friend, Sarah, who's a Melbourne fanatic, that I thought your team was looking the goods. Um, Kate, it's been an unbelievable journey. Um, we, we talked to you in quarantine in Perth. I love the backdrop, which is the Melbourne 1964 premiership flag. You obviously were nowhere near born then. I was four years old. Corrie was three. Um, it's so exciting to have two women presidents. I mean, it it mightn't mean much to a lot of people and to diehard Demon fans, not a lot at all. But we football lovers walk a little taller knowing you're there and knowing that there'll be a woman holding up the Premiership Cup. Tell us first, about tell us about where you are now. Set the scene and what it's like over there and how tough was it to get to Perth? It was unbelievably tough, um, Caro. So I didn't actually think I would get here. We were allowed 75 in our original bio bubble and there was no way I was taking a, a spot off a... A, a team welfare player or a masseur that we might need to help us win a premiership or an injured player. So I had assumed, like everybody else, I wouldn't be here in Perth. And then just uh, when we made through to the one, our first final, uh, Gil gave me a call and said, look, we think it is really important that the presidents of the four clubs that are left are here if they can be. And we, I got an exemption on Thursday at lunchtime came through from the WA government. I was on a flight at 7.25 on Thursday night and I'm now here in home quarantine in Perth, which is it's very, very strict, very difficult to get in, but they do allow you to home quarantine. So I've been able to, um, I'm outside the city quite a way, but I prefer a bit of um, space as opposed to being in the city in a hotel. And um, I've got a little bit of outdoor area here that I can make the most of. And really, other than that, it's not that much different than being at home and working from home in lockdown in Melbourne. I'm still doing Zoom meetings and work meetings and it's a long two weeks, but it's passing the time. So what day do you get? When do you get out, Kate? I get out at midnight the Thursday before grand final. So I'll have the Friday and then Saturday's game day. 
one of the more extraordinary experiences of, of your life. If you um, were to say to someone two years ago that you'd be in quarantine in Perth as the president of the Melbourne Football Club, waiting for a grand final with a two-week break, uh, yeah, well, clearly you wouldn't have believed it. For people who don't know you, tell tell us about how you first of all got onto the Melbourne board and a bit about that journey. I grew up in country New South Wales, so I'm not a I'm not even a Victorian by background. Um, we played league and union. I was closer to the Queensland border and I'm a, a Queensland supporter in the state of origin but when I came to Melbourne of uh, I came as a CEO of Big Sport and the first thing everybody said was you you have to have a team you you know this is just ridiculous you can't not have a team and when you're not born into it it's you know there's a number of teams you can choose but I was Melbourne based Big Sport was all about Melbourne and we we're at the bottom of the ladder so I thought well I, I better pick Melbourne so Melbourne it was and then um the fabulous Karen Hayes, who was the board member, the female board member on the board before um, I came on, she was stepping off and she took me to lunch one day and said, I'm I'm stepping off. Um, I want to make sure there's another good female on the board and I want to put your name um, forward if you, you are interested. And, of course, I was delighted to, to do that. Peter Jackson was our CEO at the time. He'd just come in with Paul Ruse and I, I sat with Peter Jackson and John Trotter on our board who were doing a, a nominations review for the for the board and had a chat with them and then I'm on to the board. I came a bit more than eight years ago now, but as you say, um, even as vice president, I would have never sat there and dreamed one day I would be president of this fabulous football club and leading us potentially to a, a grand final and hopefully a premiership. So before I kick over to Corrie, who is looking forward to having a chat as well, it was... Um We've watched the Collingwood board sort of self-destruct a bit this year and Carlton have had their issues. Melbourne, the Melbourne leadership change, I'm sure it wasn't without its moments of tension, but publicly it was completely seamless. Um, no one really, I mean, we, we thought that Glenn Bartlett might be um, on his last legs as president, but it happened very quickly and very respectfully, I've got to say. Um, but I, I'd not even really read about the fact that you might Oh, you might become the next president of the Melbourne Football Club. So how did that happen and when did it dawn on you that you might actually like to do the job? It, um, so we talk about succession planning. I'm, this is something I'm very big on. So I even talk now about succession planning um, for me, whenever that will be, but we have to have a very clear path. But when we when we knew, and as you, you say, Cara Glenn, in his own words, had said he was cooked, these are big jobs. And we said, okay, we, we need a succession plan. And the discussion, the very open and honest discussion was um, amongst our board members, who is the best person for the job? And they said, well, Kate, we think it needs to be you. And it's a huge honour to to have not just um, be president of your football club, but to know that your board think you are the person who should stand up and do it at this point in time. And I know I'm still the only female on the board at the moment, but I know I have the full support of um, my fellow directors to to take on this role. And we're a very unified board. We're very open and honest. We have our um, tough discussions. We have our disagreements. But that's um, that's very good for a board from a governance perspective. But I know they support me 100% and we support this club 100%. Hi, Kate. It's Corrie here. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. And what you're just saying there is it completely resonates with me because... Caro and I have spent the last four years of this podcast talking about when should women step up? Why? Uh, what is it about quotas uh, that men are often so resistant and many organisations are resistant about the quota idea? And also men are often reluctant to look around the room and say, who is the best person for the job? And 
why you know, why can't it be a woman? So it's terribly refreshing. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, something I heard this week on AFL 360 on Foxtel. Mike Sheehan, a long-time Melbourne supporter, was being interviewed about how does he feel about his team um, going off to the big dance in a couple of weeks. And Mike said that he was in the Sorrento pub earlier this year talking to your coach, Simon, who said to him, we'll be there. He was absolutely convinced back in January or February that Melbourne would be in the grand final. Did you share that same ideal? You know, the grand final is a is a different thing, but I, I knew we had under-delivered last year. We sort of had a few, very strange, it was a very um, tough series of road trips that we took at the end of last year and we missed out. So I thought we, we didn't perform as well as we probably should have last year. So I had great confidence that it's, it's not so much that you say we'll make the grand final because it's, yes, you need the good list, yes, you need the good coaching, yes, you need a few things to go your way with the luck of the bounce of the ball or the umpire's whistle, but you need really that cultural thing to work for the team to get there. And in January, I hadn't seen that because I wasn't seeing them play. By the first two or three games, I thought, yep, this is this is a year that we're going to go deep into the finals because I could see every single one of those players not playing for themselves, not even really playing for each other, but they're playing for this club now, more than anything, they want their supporters to feel success and that's what's driving them. You know, we've asked them to stand up so many times in adversity, including the Thunder Gods who thought they might get involved um, over in Perth and try to jip us a win. But so many times we've asked them to stand up in really difficult situations, flights diverted, not knowing when they're playing, and they have stood up really strongly and and resolutely and, you know, I'm so proud of them and, and that cultural thing where every time I speak to the players they say, Fantastic! I'm an All Australian. Fantastic! I won the you know the coaches coaches award, but I'd give it all up for a premiership for this club. And I think that's what Goody was seeing and sensing, and that's what you know culturally we've really driven hard this year. And that's what you're seeing turn out time and time again on the field, including a 44 point you know turnaround win against the Cats. I mean, 10 years ago, Melbourne supporters would have gone to bed at halftime and said, you know, that game's done and dusted. So this is a different team. I keep saying. This is not the 1978 team. It's not the 1984 team. This is the team of 2021. This is a new era, a new culture, and we, we've got a really different focus about it now. I just want to briefly mention Karen Hayes, who you threw up before, one of my mm. favourite people in football and Absolutely. and an absolute Melbourne diehard, and, and she was a, a wonderful you know, early with Bev O'Connor on the Melbourne board, but a pioneering <laughs> pioneering board member. Corey, before I go back to you, you talk about being a, a New South Wales girl, and um, clearly you're not as much of a footy foreigner as Peggy O'Neill, who comes from West Virginia. But I mean, it is interesting, isn't it, that um, two? I mean, and, and and you might be the premiership president this year, or you might be the runner-up. Who knows? But um, and Peggy's mm-hmm. Peggy's won three. Do you think? Does it help in a way to be a bit of an outsider? Do you think that's helped you in a sense? I think, yeah, so by background, I'm a, I'm a biomechanist. I worked at the Institute of Sport. I played sport myself. So I've always been in and around sport. But I think as an outsider, you come to Victoria and you are smacked right in the face with just how big AFL is here in Victoria. It is so much more than a sport here. It is a, it's a way of life. It's, you know, it's almost a religion, like we would say. And I think for me, 
you know, the gravitas of what I do as the president of a football club is so much more than being a chair of a board or um, doing governance of a club. It's a completely different thing. And when I was uh, first announced as president, a friend of mine I went to university with in Canberra, he got in touch and said, oh, you know, what is this? I said, Michael, you don't understand what it's like being president <laughs> of, a, of an AFL club in Victoria. I said, it's... You know, you might as well have just um, made me Governor General. I said, these are really different things. And I think coming from outside, you you have a really clear perspective of just how big it is compared to other other states like New South Wales or Queensland that are, are rugby league uh, really, really states. And so you have a, a very profound understanding when you become a president, and I think, Peggy, the same, of just how important it is over and above what you actually just do at your club. I mean... People ask me all the time, what's the proudest thing, you know, about being president of the football club? And I say it's everything that we do off the field. Grassing of the Santa Teresa Oval in, in Alice Springs with money that we raise from members. Seeing our players, you know, send out little video clips to, to sick kids and things like that. They're the things that make me proudest, not that we, you know, smack the cats um, you know, in the in the <laughs> second game of the final series. It's it's the other things because that's they're, they're great people, our people who are in and around the club who play for us, who coach for us, and great people will make great players or great coaches or great administrators, and that's really my aim is to make every person who's involved in this club the best person they can be. Then I think, Cara, as you say, we'll, we'll lift many of those premiership cups if we can do that. Kate, uh, you mentioned, of course, uh, success on the field. Uh, a lot of that, all, all of that is, is due to what is happening off the field. And, and also great culture, successful cultures come from the top. So congratulations on all you've achieved. But I wonder how season 2021 has unfolded for you. Last year, of course, presented clubs and the AFL with these extraordinary challenges because of the coronavirus. And then I wondered how you prepared for this year, knowing that it was probable that there would be lockdowns again, that this virus wasn't beaten, and how you've continued to keep the entire organisation, not just your plan group and not just the coaching group but the entire organization focused and motivated yeah and that's a such an important thing Corey. i mean we we took big hits last year with our you know, staffing we didn't have enough money to pay all our staff like everybody so we know our staff took uh, leave without pay they took their annual leave they took um, pay cuts so that they could keep the club going and again i say this is part of the dedication of the afl we knew coming into last year at um, board meetings at the end of last year, we were talking about the fact we would most likely be COVID impacted again this year. We estimate this year, for example, we've lost around $3 million in, in gate takings from our big games in, in Alice Springs, um, our Indigenous round game, our home game, um, Queen's birthday against Collingwood, uh, the end of season top of the table clash against the Bulldogs. They're all home games for us that we lost around $3 million in income from ticketing. Uh, you know, we probably lost another million or so in grand final guarantees, for example, uh, people who upgrade their tickets to get a grand final guarantee because we're not playing at the MCG. We've lost money in that. But we'd be prepared for that. But the biggest concern to me, and I raise this with Gill and the AFL a lot, is the toll that it's taking on our administrative staff. Our administrative, you know, almost double time or covering other jobs because we've had to have staff cuts. They're really struggling a lot and we're very mindful of the fact that you know, it's been tough on them and they sort of get forget forgotten in the conversation. And it's really important for us, I think, to, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure how to explain it, Cara. You've been around footy for, for long enough. Maybe you can explain it. But there's something different about 
I think Melbourne winning a flag, and it's not it's not just a club thing. It's not, you know, it's so in, so important to so many more people, people in the AFL industry who want Melbourne to be a big, strong, powerful club again because so many of those names that are synonymous with football like Norm Smith and Ronnie Barassi and, and Neil Danaher and Jimmy Steins, they're Melbourne names and, you know, they really want Melbourne to be strong again. And, and I think for our staff, you know, just making that final step would be, you know, it would just make mean the world to them for all the sacrifices that they've given to keep the club going. You know, it's it's quite incredible and I thank them enormously because they are making the difference that allows us to do a good job on the field. Well, as Corrie well knows, um, because her dad was a Melbourne fanatic, um, it's the longest streak without a premiership of any club in the AFL, um, and it's 1964. Eddie Maguire reported on Footy Classified this week, Kate, that if you do win, that a lot of your staff and players will remain in WA and travel from there and holiday from there. And when and if you do bring the Premiership Cup home, it probably won't be up until um, December that we'll see the Demons on the MCG with that cup. Is that correct? Uh, I certainly won't be. So I've, I've got work and other things that I will have to get back for. I'm not sure. Um, there's there's not a lot of us over here, as you say. There's, um, there's 75 who are actually with the playing group. The rest of our um, staff are back at home. But, uh, you know, I'll um, very happily bring the Premiership Cup back with me on the plane. Um uh, a few days after um, the grand final, if we have it. But, you know, this is really important. If we're fortunate enough to to bring the Premiership Cup back, as soon as we can, you know, lockdowns permitting and whatever, we, you know, we want to relive the grand final experience for our, our people back home who can't be here. And whether that's uh, replaying the game at the MCG and, you know, replaying the medal ceremony where they get the um, you know, medals presented and what have you, we certainly will do something like that because, as you say, Cara, there's so many people who should be here who just, you know, can't be here, members of the 64 team that are still alive. I think there's 11 um, still with us, they can't even be here to see this. So we will look at that. But it's just, you know, COVID, you can't opt out of COVID. It, it just doesn't care. And unfortunately, we are where we are. And, you know, our, our players are just focused up on if their families, you know, remember their families, they haven't seen them for more than two weeks now, their own families and partners. So if they can't be here and they can't share it with them over here, then they're determined, I think, to make sure they take that Premiership Cup home. Corrie, one more from me before uh, you finish up. But when we, we first spoke in April, early May, I think it was, you, you, you said, as you said, when you became president, you were there for a platform of social change and gender change. Melbourne is a pioneer with its AFLW team. And, of course, the AFMA award winner the other night, Daisy Pierce, is you know probably the biggest name in the game as yeah. a woman. And yet I don't want to, you know, take you to task on this, but this, you, as you said, you're still the only woman on the Melbourne board, which really, frankly, isn't good enough. And when is that going to change? Uh, very soon, Caro. So we, we've got, um, we have processes. I mean, our board members are elected by, um, at AGMs and things, so we have to go through that process. But that is something that um, I have actively been working on with my uh, board members. And we have, I can assure you, we've got... Um, a number of very good uh, women lined up to come on soon, Caro. So um, I'll be able to chat to you about that soon. Hopefully it is, absolutely, it is um, incredibly important. And a shout out, as you say, to to the women of, of the Melbourne Football Club who really did pioneer um, AFLW, the fabulous Debbie Lee, um, finally recognised in the Hall of Fame this year. Daisy, as you mentioned, Karen Hayes, who was there, Jen Watt. Um, you know, we really have... Um, 
pioneered, I think, the, the women's game. And I'm so proud of that. And um, I certainly will be making steps, not just to balance out the gender equity piece, but to make sure that all underrepresented groups, you know, have a fair opportunity to be engaged and involved because we are, you're very welcome at the Melbourne Football Club, um, wherever you come from and whoever you are. Kate, it's um, it's going to be an emotional grand final for so many Victorian supporters. Many of us have huge affection for both the Western Bulldogs and the Dees. So, I, I mean, I know what side of the fence I'm sitting on because I love Melbourne. My, as Caro said earlier, my dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather were all huge supporters, and I dallied with them for a brief time before I settled back with Hawthorne. But. What, what I think is so exciting for all of us is, you know, you mentioned earlier the extraordinary challenges financially facing the club last year and early this year. I just hope, Katie, that this is a launching pad, not just whether you win or lose on Saturday week, but also looking at the vibrancy amongst the player group on the weekend. It was a, such a compelling, fabulous game. The confidence they oozed, and I'm sure that must be permeating through your entire organisation. I just wish you all the best, and I hope there's this huge groundswell of support that comes your way over the next few months. Yeah, thanks, Cara. I think it, it's you know it's a bit like when the doggies you know, beat Sydney to win theirs. There's there's it's more like I said, it's more than a, a premiership win. It it's means so much more to so many more people. And you know, I think as as Caro says, um, it's going to be a tough game that they don't give away premierships and the doggies aren't going to come out and say oh, you haven't won one for a while, so we let you have one. That's just not <laughs> going to happen. So we'll see what happens on the day, but. Either way, I think, as you say, Caro, we're going to be there challenging in final series for a number of years. We've still got one of the youngest teams that runs out onto the park every week. I mean, these these players, while they seem like they've been around for ages and, you know, extraordinarily competent and, and confident in their abilities, they're still young. Jake Bowie's, I think this is his sixth game uh, or something like that. So we're expecting that we will see this team stay together for a very long time and and challenge for many, many um, Premiership Cups, hopefully, in the next decade. Well, I'd love to see one at the MCG, um, not as much as I'd love to see another Richmond one, but I would love for all my... <laughs> and we've all got so many friends who barrack for Melbourne, Corrie. It, it just would be yeah. such a great moment. Uh, last question. Do you, have you spoken to Kylie um, since the Bulldogs made the grand final? Yeah. Kylie Watson-Wheeler, yep. Yeah, yeah, I spoke to... So Peggy and Kylie and I, being uh, the three females, we obviously um, catch up and, and chat quite a lot. But, yeah, I spoke to Kylie on Saturday before the game because I was obviously through, so I was relieved. Um, <laughs> Kylie wasn't as yet, so she um, so she was still in hotel quarantine waiting. But, yeah, um, we chat away. I mean, we're presidents of clubs. We share things and we're female presidents, so that's a bit unusual. But, um, yeah, look, I've done my bit. You know, I've done what I can off the field. So is Kylie. Now it's up to the boys to deliver on the field. So you know we're not um, we're not sitting there, you know, fighting each other or whatever. We're both in really difficult situations. We're both in quarantine. So yeah, we we chat away and text each other, and you know, whoever wins on the day will get a hug and. You know, then we'll have to go on and challenge again next year's. Katie, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you three girls get together. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's a um, it's an interesting um, thing. But Peggy's been so. I mean, even before I became pre- president, Peggy was someone that I uh, caught up with a lot and spoke to a lot. You know, she's. Um, I've been, you know, the first female chair of an organisation that looks after shipping channels, for example. So we've been first females in different things, and it's a a great thing to be able to share that with her and um, 
Yeah, you know, funnily enough, we don't necessarily chat that much about AFL. We chat about other things that we're, we're doing. But, you know, hopefully, I know Peggy is just so relieved that she won't finish up as president and there won't be any females there. She's said that many times to me. I'm just, I'm so happy that I can sort of do my time, go and know that there'll be other females there to to carry the baton forward and hopefully bring more women through. Thank you so much, Kate, for sparing a few minutes nearly half an hour with us. It's so exciting to speak to someone who's over there. And as I say, it's just such a one... I never thought I'd see the day. Probably that Melbourne would be in another grand final with a woman president against another woman president. It just shows how far we've come. So all the best. Good luck with the rest of quarantine and with all the other... We haven't gone anywhere near all the other important work you do because it's all about the demons this week. But Thank you very much. Thanks. Katie. Thank you. And, and you know, let's just have a great game. No injuries. Well, what a wonderful chat that was. And I am just so envious of anyone over in Perth, even in quarantine, to just think that they're going to Optus Stadium to be watching what is going to be an unbelievable grand final. We're hoping next week, Corrie, to do the same with the Western Bulldogs president, Kylie Watson-Wheeler. But for now... It's time to go to the cocktail cabinet. Miles is not with us this week, but we're each going to share a bit of a grand final tipple. Jane, bring in that trolley. <laughs> OK, Caro, so I'm thinking it's another lockdown grand final evening. And last year we had some superb takeaway, which was cooked by my nephew, Jake, who had at that stage a home delivery of gourmet food business. And we settled onto a beautiful sparkling, which I actually acquired from Prince Wine Store, and they still have in stock. And I would recommend this if you want to go top shelf, as Daniel Andrews would say. It's called Volareux Brut Reserve, $77 a bottle on the princewinestore.com.au website as I look at it. But of course, potties do get the special discount, as Miles always reminds us, if they go into, if they put in the um, uh, messenger, uh, is it the messenger code, I think it is? M-E-S-S, Corrie. How many times have we told you this? Come on. I know, I should be listening. I should be taking notes. But, Carol, it's a really lovely, my favourite sparkling of all, I would have to say, is is not available through uh, through Prince, which is Perrier Jouet. But I tell you what, this Volaru is absolutely beautiful. It's tangy. Uh, it, it says in the notes here, candied kumquat and white peach, which I think is absolutely as accurate as can be. I really love it. It's a very special occasion wine for us. And in fact, we had a bottle of this with the family when I had my family lunch for the, my significant birthday in March. It's delicious. Highly recommend that for your grand final tipple. So what that's Corrie's sparkling recommendation, which will be on our show notes and available at Prince Wine Store, bringing you the best wines in the world. I'm also going to reach up to the top shelf, Corrie, because it is grand final day we're talking about. And I'm going to have a bottle of our old friend, William Fev Chablis. This is just such a beautiful wine. It's... um. With the MEWS discount, you'll buy it, you know, around the sort of mid $40 range. It's not cheap, but it is just the most beautiful Chablis, the Domain William Fev. He also does a Petit Chablis, which is absolutely beautiful. And if you want to go a little bit less expense, 
I'd go for the Petit Chablis, which is also available at Prince Wine Store, and it's the, the uh, domain Daniel Dampt, D-A-M-P-T, Daniel Dampt, which um, with the M-E-S-S discount you'll buy for somewhere around mid to high $30 range. I know it's not cheap, but we, it is grand final day and that's what we're doing. And Jane, you'd better give us your recommendation. Oh, well, Cara, you've rocked up um, with a bottle of your lemon cordial. So I have, Jane. I have been making a massive effort to try and repair some of the damage from last year's lockdowns and actually what, to not... to your liver? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, and look, I've also decided that I'm spending money on plants instead of um, booze at the moment, but grand final day might be an exception, but Caro's Lemon Cordial could be a great tipple. But for anyone who is trying to stay off the alcohol or has perhaps guests, I mean, we're not talking in Melbourne or Sydney, but guests around there, I've actually been getting at the supermarket $7 a six-pack for Cooper's, of course, Cooper's Great South Australian Beer, zero alcohol or ultralight beer, $7 a six-pack. If you chill it really, really well and you feel like a beer but you don't want to then I'm, – I'm just hopeless. If I have a beer, then I have too many. So it just knocks the edge off. It tastes really, really good. I never thought I would say this. And it was actually Hutchie, my boss, who recommended zero alcohol beer when he does his 100 days alcohol free. So I'm going to try and have a alcohol free grand final day. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I wish I could say I was, Corey, but I won't be going alcohol free. Jane? Yeah, I'm not going, Jane, even if there was no lockdown, I wouldn't be coming to your house, Dale. <laughs> Jane, that, no, it is a good recommendation, and um, Brendan quite enjoys no alcohol beer, as yeah. does my mum Julia. She loves a no alcohol beer, and there is something about a cold beer that mm. just does when nothing else will, and you don't really drink it for the alcohol content. So, mate, yeah, it's mate, got all the flavour, Caro. Maybe that works. Okay, well, we've got a beautiful Chablis. We've got a non-alcoholic beer, My Lemon Cordial and Corrie's Bubbles. They'll all be on our show notes. And Corrie and Caro, I know you've both had the pleasure of dining at Belotta next to Prince Wine Store. I know you both love it. They are actually offering two fantastic grand final or bust boxes filled with delicious, delicious treats for your grand final viewing. So there's two sizes of boxes, very similar. One is $80 for two people. The other is $120 for three people and includes things like Belotta's sausage rolls with the spice tomato relish, the lamb borax, the Andalusian pork belly skewers with pickled cucumbers, spicy chicken wings, caramelised onion, anchovy and olive tarts, focaccia and porchetta sandwiches, all the ingredients to prepare two focaccia sandwich or three if it's the three-person box with shaved roast pork, salsa verde, rocket and Dijon mustard and chocolate truffles as well. So you can place your orders from next Monday. That's the Monday before grand final. Just call Prince Wine Store and ask them about Belotta's grand final or bust boxes. Sounds delicious. The cocktail cabinet is brought to us by Prince Wine Store. And remember to use the promo code MEWS at checkout online to receive a listener discount. You will find those links in our show notes. And remember, Prince Wine Store, bringing us the best wines in the world and just tell them that Corrie and Caro sent you. Which brings us to crush of the week, Corrie. Caro, my crush is Eddie Betts, just recently retired from the Carlton Footy Club the 34-year-old who notched up 17 seasons uh, at Carlton and then Adelaide and then back to Carlton. 
uh, he has he is becoming increasingly an important voice in the indigenous sector um, bringing communities together now I know he has for many years been quite vocal about particular issues but it seems that he is on a trajectory I think to uh, to to achieve greatness off the footy field just as he did on the footy field and the catalyst for this Cara this week was the launch of a song that the very talented Paul Kelly has written about Eddie Betts. And I watched an extraordinary interview the other night on AFL 360 between uh, Eddie, Eddie and Paul were both on the show talking about the release of this song. And it's, it's called I'm Sick and Tired. And Paul was saying that he's a bit of a fan of watching AFL 360 and he was watching, watching Eddie Betts last year talking about the exhaustion of racism. And, and, and he said those words three or four times, I'm sick and tired of it. And it stuck with Paul. And then a few weeks ago, Eddie was back on. It, it, I think it might have been around the moment of the Taylor Walker um, uh, incident. And Eddie said again, he, he, and, and Paul says in the interview last night that Eddie just looked absolutely exhausted as he said, I'm just here. Here we go again. It's even worse I'm sick of it. I'm sick of fighting. It's draining. And Paul just picked up the songbook and started writing. And the first words are, I'm so sick and tired of keeping it all inside. Caro, it's such a beautiful song. But last night, um, Jared Waitley asked Eddie, how do you feel having this song written about you? Well, there was so much emotion in Eddie's response. He said how his mum cried when she heard it. He's very emotional. How honoured he is to have one of Australia's greatest songwriters composed this in his honour. I think he's on to something, Eddie Betts. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about him. He's talked about setting up a foundation to help Indigenous kids achieve their dreams and goals. And, Carol, we, it's just a reminder, isn't it? We all know the power of the arts to cut through uh, and, and get messages across, just as sport does. And I really think this song is just going to send such powerful messages to our community. So Eddie Betts and Paul Kelly are my crushes of the week. Very appropriate crush, Corrie. Yeah, I saw that interview and I've heard the song and I also remember Eddie when he did say that night that he's just so tired and it was a really upsetting interview actually and um, I'm not surprised that it resonated with such a brilliant songwriter as uh, Paul Kelly. That was Crush of the Week for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. We moved straight, Corrie, into BSF and I'm going to kick us off with a, what, what do you call it, Co cosy crime? Cozy crime, yeah. In the industry, they're known as cozy crime books. It's an, it's an actual genre, and so they're murder mysteries with not too much blood and guts. That's kind of the elevator pitch. It's you know, it's it's a little more complicated than that. But usually, there's a village. Usually, there's a bit of humour. Usually, there's a cast of eccentric characters. Then there's one, maybe two, maybe three crimes. And then there's the unexpected sleuth, the person you least expected to solve the mystery. Or there is the world-weary detective who rolls into the village or seaside resort. Or in the case of Agatha Christie, it might be a train from Paris 
to Venice, I have no idea. But, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> or if it's Mary Stewart, there's a plucky heroine as well. Oh, <laughs> I have. I've give looked, me that plucky heroine. Well, thanks to Anna from the op shop, I have immersed myself in the world of Detective Bruno in the Dordogne series. And the village is Saint-Denis. Um, oh, I cannot put this book down. I've virtually finished it. It's absolutely wonderful. It is very cosy. And it does have its fair share of crime. Inspector Bruno is, um, well, he's a French detective and he is um, based in Saint-Denis. He makes his own dog biscuits. He makes his own pâté. He's, he's also become involved in the world of dog breeding through one of his breeders. He is friends with the ladies who run the local stable. He goes horse riding. It, he is just, you know, it's your modern day and he seems to have a series. This is book 14 in, and they're by Martin Walker. Is that the, Martin Walker is the author. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, former, he's a former journal. Uh, in fact, he might still be working as a journalist. Yes, Cara, he, he, he worked a, for The Guardian, He has I think. a house. Yeah, he has, so he lives in England, but he has a holiday house in France right near this area. And just because he was feeling bored one day, he decided to start this series. Well, they are a huge hit among the cosy crime gang. Yeah, well, I think there are a lot of cosy Brits living in the Dordogne. Brendan and I had a wonderful holiday there back in 2009. Um, oh, look, it's, we, we stayed in a village called Pauna, P-A-U-N-A-T, but we went to Sarlat, which was another beautiful spot. There was Limeul, um, Tremola. It, it's where the confluence of all these rivers come together. And, oh, look, and a lot of ancient castles, and we love the Dordogne. Anyway, but um, this is book 14. It's called The Coldest Case. It starts off with a skull, a skull that um, the local police chief has been obsessed by for more than a decade. In fact, I think for two decades. Um, it also involves a bit of Cold War espionage. espionage. Um, basically, the backstory of this skull was a body of a young man that was found in a nearby campsite in the Dordogne and um, Inspector Bruno has a brilliant idea of recreating the skull into a human face because he's been to an exhibition of um, ancient skulls where there is a scientist who's doing this but then the Cold War gets involved and then some very evil sort of um, communists become involved and Stasis and Look, it's, it's just got everything. It really is an absolutely wonderful book. It's called The Coldest Case, and it's by Martin Walker. I'm really, I've almost finished it. I'm absolutely loving it. Well, that's interesting that you've come into book 14 of a series and you've been able to pick up the magic of Bruno. Is there no end to that man's talents, I ask? I look forward, but, to, uh, I look forward so... to going back to um, book number one. Yeah, but Corrie, you can. Um, yes, that's right. I haven't seen it, but I have heard... That strong female lead, which we can watch on SBS On Demand, is just harrowing. Carol, it is. It's uh, it's the docu. It's it's all documentary based. So just think the Adam Goods doco of a year or two ago, where there's no narrator and there's no analysis by a panel or anything like that. It's just footage and interviews at the time they happened, and this is the uh, the the ascent to power by Julia Gillard in 2010 as Australia's first female Prime Minister and the treatment of her through the gender and sexist lens uh, and the three years that unfolded, which were difficult and hard. And, Caro, watching this, I felt, oh, I felt so deeply emotional. It was really hard to explain. 
there's a, there's a whole narrative that's been built around Julia Gillard by Tony Abbott and other members of the Liberal Party in Canberra, um, by Alan Jones, of course, who was just merciless in his attacks on her, cartoonist Larry Pickering, who has a lot to answer for, uh, by members of the media who never really called it out as strongly as they should have. And even by us, the community, we watched this. Many of us felt uncomfortable at the time about how Gillard was treated. Certainly there were a lot of us who felt uncomfortable about her role in the ousting of Kevin Rudd. Whoever side you were on, it was unpleasant and it was a night of the long knives, as often happens in in, in, um, parliamentary circles. But there were just so many harsh judgments made about her private life choices instead of her politics. So they played the man rather than the issue. Terrible carrot. Shocking photographs of, uh, of, of um, her in unflattering poses. Cartoonists who, who made so much fun of her red hair, her long nose. Well, that's caricature and that's probably okay. But Larry Pickering depicting her nude with a fat bottom. It was just all so unpleasant. And, um, Worse than unpleasant. And I, I, Worse than unpleasant. Well, it, it was just absolutely shocking. And it just, you could, if you recall that time, it just seemed to sap her energy and sap her confidence. All of these, you know, the ditch the witch banners and, and the trolls on social media saying that she had blood on her hands with the Kevin Rudd. Um, Alan Jones constantly damning her the way he did. Uh, signs that said Julia is Bob Brown's female dog, you know, because she was um, forging a deal with the then Greens leader. Uh, one placard at one one um, demonstration said sack the crack. I mean, it was just people called her a mole on radio and the shock jocks didn't call them to task on that. They it was the beginning of the end for herself. Alan Jones, wasn't it, really, when he said her father died of shame? And, um, well, that the significant part of that of, of the show is dedicated to that comment, and then of course the uh, there's a, there's a we just see the entire um, uh, misogynist speech in its entirety, which is so compelling. But even people like Jermaine Greer, Caro didn't give her a lucky break. Jermaine Greer went on, I think it was Q and A, but said he did. Was, said, you know, was talking about uh, Julia's politics, but then said, one thing about you, Julia, I want you to get rid of those bloody jackets. They don't fit you. You've got a big ass, Julia. Get over it. And the whole audience laughs, including the panel. And it was just now looking through a 2021 lens of everything that's happened in federal parliament regarding women and so on. Gosh, Caro, I felt uncomfortable watching this show. And I have to say that in the final scene when... um, the, the the now um, ex-Prime Minister, and I think it was probably only a year or two ago, I'm not sure of the timing, Julia attends an event put on by the Victorian Women's Trust at the Melbourne Town Hall, and the entire Town Hall, a standing ovation, tears, floods, the emotion on Julia's speech of being acknowledged as a, a female leader who created so many, so much change, so much legis- legislation went was passed during her time. She was in, in, in many ways a successful leader, but um, it got, was very I'm, moving. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, and particularly in the light of, um, you know, misrepresented recently, where Penny Wong said, you know, we should have called it out. We, we deliberately didn't. We chose not to. We thought it was better to ignore it. 
that was a mistake. And um, our friend Mary um, and I were talking about strong female lead this morning, Corrie, and she said, uh, is there a scene um, that last time when Rob Oakshot gets up in Parliament? Oh, yes. It's and so he's the only he's one. Retiring. He's the only mm. one who actually, and, and Mary said all the Labor people looked pretty shamefaced as he spoke. Well, he was—he'd uh, worked hard with her to get a lot of uh, a lot of legislation up and over the line. Uh, you know, as Robert Oakeshott, as he says, five hundred pieces, more than five hundred pieces of legislation passed in three years in a hung parliament. The odds were stacked against her, but he paid—he paid homage to her, and he said, "We have got to deal with ugly Australia." which was talking about this focus on gender. I oh. found his speech compelling. It was great. And it was a really good show. Highly recommend it. SBS On Demand. Strong female lead. I have to watch it. Well, it's a pretty serious topic, particularly in light of the fact that the Kate Jenkins investigation into what is going on in Canberra and the Australian political system, um, all those recommendations she made... Um, don't think all of them have been picked up. In fact, I'd be ha- I think only half of them have been. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. But, Corrie, just to be completely frivolous now for a moment, we've been making biscuits. Oh, Caro, we have. I'll go first because mine is savoury and then you can finish with your sweet recipe. Mine is Parmesan and Rosemary Thins, which is from a beautiful big book I have. It's just called Complete Baking by Caroline Bretherton. I recommend this book because it has pictures and and how-tos and really well laid out recipes. These parmesan and rosemary thins I cooked the other night because of course Pete and I were having a cocktail party for the two of us and I was bored and thought, (laughs) oh, we'll give it a go. Um, so uh, the, the uh, Jane will put the recipe on the show notes, everyone. It's a gorgeous recipe. The rosemary is absolutely delicious in this. I did have a problem with my pastry dough. It was very crumbly and um, I just couldn't, I really had to sort of put water on my fingertips, massage it in almost into each, uh, each round as I then cut it with my cookie cutter. But I did this morning in the interest of research for this program, Caro, who do I go to always in a crisis? But our friend and friend of the pod, Jeff Slattery, who is a sublime, wonderful cook. And he, I, I text, he asked to see the recipe. I text it and he said, it says you have to knead until knead it all together and then refrigerate. I can't see why it wouldn't work unless the recipe was wrong. But if you did everything right, suggest another 15 grams of softened butter or a similar amount of water. So next time I uh, try my parmesan and rosemary thins, I will be following that advice. Caro, what's your biscuit? In fact, I know what your biscuit is because your mum gave me one the other day and I loved it. She made you a little packet, Corrie, and yes, I can't take the credit. These are my mother's, I suppose, are we calling them burnt butter biscuits or butterscotch biscuits? They are absolutely beautiful. I think we should call them Julia's biscuits. We'll call them Julia's biscuits. Now, they're very simple. I'm sorry, I've got to give um, the measurements in Imperial because um, that's the way mum makes them and you'll just have to convert, all right? Very simple, four ounces butter, four ounces soft brown sugar, one tablespoon golden syrup or treacle. Well, you've heard my mother and her friend Hattie's theory, treacle is now golden syrup and golden syrup is now honey. Make of that what you will. She thinks the old-fashioned golden syrup is now more like honey. But add a tablespoon and beat all of that until fluffy. Obviously, the butter needs to be softened. Then you add a teaspoon of vanilla essence and then you add five ounces of self-raising flour. 
um, make them into little balls, flatten with a fork, put a flaked almond on top and bake them for about 15 minutes in the middle rack of the oven on 170. Absolutely beautiful. They're little, they're thin and they go down an absolute treat. Mum says they're better with coffee. I think they're beautiful with tea or coffee. They are absolutely delicious. They are so Moorish that it, it is just one of the most beautiful, lightest biscuit I have ever had. The little bit of almond on the top. Oh, honestly, I've knocked them off. That's uh, Julia's biscuit recipe, we're going to call that. Julia's biscuits. And we, of course, will have those on the show notes. Thank you, Red Energy, for supporting BSF. Powered by the Snowy Hydro, leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time you called Ren Energy on 131806 and got yourself organised? Caro, you are grumpy today. I am grumpy. I'm grumpy because a week or two ago, um, I think around the time we were doing the last podcast, there was um, the big story came out that um, the Taliban had banned the Afghan women's cricket team. And... Um, the Australian government responded, the Tasmanian government responded through Peter Gutwin because of the test that was about to be played, the cricket that was about to be played between Afghanistan and Australia in Tasmania. And Cricket Australia responded by banning the Afghanistan cricket team because of the fact that they were banning women's sport across that country and that their women's cricket team was no longer going to be able to play. Now, there's been a backlash to that what was called a knee-jerk response, a feel-good motherhood statement response by the Australian authorities, and that there are bigger issues than women's sport um, going on in Afghanistan at the moment, and we're talking about education and human rights and all manner of things. But I think they did the right thing, Corrie. I don't believe, I don't hold with... I really respect Gideon Haig, and I really respect um, Malcolm Speed and his thoughts on this, but they're now saying, look... a, a a cricket test or a cricket match between Australia and Afghanistan would have created such talk and such joy for so many people, for for so many Afghans, that it would have been a good thing and it might have made the Taliban think again. I don't agree with that. I think we have to make the moral stand here. And it's just horrifying to me that you would even countenance playing sport against a country that bans women athletes. Just absolutely horrifying. Anyway, it's been it's been a big it, it is such a big issue this and um, and not just uh, I mean it's again we're going to be faced with this in well now three years time with the next Olympics do you how does does a country get banned because of its policy toward minority groups it's um it's a hot potato. Corrie, um, that's why I'm grumpy and it is a pretty serious thing to be grumpy about. But we'll have a bit of fun now with six quick questions okay. for Red Let Energy. Oh, you're going to kick it off. Why don't you kick it off? Well, I will. And I'll be interested to hear your answer to this. Now, Melbourne Storm, the mighty Melbourne Storm, are in another preliminary final. Is this big news in your world, Corrie? Nah. <laughs> I, I knew you'd say that. That's why you asked me. I feel embarrassed. It, saying that, but it, I'm sorry, I can't cover all codes. But they're like, I mean, I don't watch many of their games, but aren't they this wonderful constant in our life? They just keep winning. They're an unbelievable outfit. And don't, don't, I just think Craig Bellamy is the most, one of the most incredible sporting characters, coaching teachers in, um, in Australian sport. But anyway, you won't be watching, I guess. Well, I'm glad you've answered my question, Caro. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll leave it at that. Caro, should the Brownlow Medal presentation be moved to Sunday nights permanently? 
Big N-O, Corrie. I love the Monday night tradition of the Brownlow, and I think that's what they should stick with. I understand why they're doing it this year because of all the issues with COVID and the thousands of different rooms in which the players are going to have to be, but no. Well, interestingly, you're a Brownlow girl. What do you think? I, I would love it to be on Sunday nights, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah, you know me, I sit up to the very last moment, the very last, like squeeze all of that emotion out of the winner's speech. I'm there when, well, no longer Bruce McAvaney, but um, Hamish one McLaughlin. Of the, yeah, one of the McLaughlin brothers is saying goodnight. I am there, and it's very hard to go to work on Tuesday. <laughs> well, you've got to go to work on Monday, Corrie, so. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, but you've had the sleep in on Sunday. You can think to yourself at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, oh, I've got the brown light tonight. I better have a nana nap. So you're fully prepared, Caro. You're absolutely at your best. But to come off a big day at work on Monday, go home. Yes, there's a lot of excitement around the red carpet. That's usually when you're serving the dinner. Then you settle down. You haven't had a chance for a nap. You've got to get up the next day. It's just bloody exhausting. Corrie, how important is the office tea room? And why am I asking you this question? Um, the office tea room is very important and hands off the office tea room to Victorian State Government COVID Response Commander Jerome Weimar, who I am a huge fan of, I have to say, because he delivers the message so succinctly. But this week he said we'd seen a number of cases where tea rooms had been a mini spreading area. Apparently... Uh, there were five cases so far that have come out of what's known as the V-Line cluster with the transmission occurring in the train driver's tea room. And so Jerome has warned everyone, beware of tea rooms. Maybe they shouldn't be a place for social gathering. Well, I would say wear your mask in the tea room, but if you take away tea rooms with workers who have the okay to work, and even when we get back to whatever normal is going to look like, tea rooms are a place of... I don't know, Caro, togetherness, sharing information, sharing gossip. Gossip. <laughs> Where else do we get to gossip about our colleagues? Well, I spend a lot of time in the Channel 9 tea room because, as you know, I make a lot of cups of tea and it's a pretty lonely place these days, Corrie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I just think let's just try and get everybody, let's not close down the tea rooms, let's try and get everybody with masks and appropriate social distancing, but don't close down the tea rooms, your own. What will become of us if that happens? Caro, if you were going to the Brownlow this year and if you had the choice of any Australian designer to dress you because you're a VIP and an Alf Brown award-winning oh. uh, journalist, who would you choose to design your dress? Oh, Corrie, that's a, that is, I, I haven't really thought about this. Look, I love, I'm a big Zimmerman fan and a few of my more recent um, outfits have been Zimmerman. I also love Carla Zampatti. And I also love Scanlon Theodore. So is that, how's that for a three-way tie? Yeah, that's pretty good. The old Carla, she really does do a great jersey wrap, doesn't she? Oh, she, she does a great evening frock too, as does her daughter Bianca. Corrie, speaking of fashion, what was your pick of the outfits at this week's Met Gala in New York? Oh, I love this event. Of course, there wasn't one last year because they were in lockdown. It's back. This is the big annual fundraiser for the Metropolitan Museum. And, Caro, it's... It's to raise money for the Costume Institute. And so, of course, the traditional dress is flamboyant and costume inspired. Can I do a three, two, one, a brown low on this? Sure. Okay. I'm intrigued. One vote. one vote to Carrie Mulligan, 
an actress you and I love yep. who wore hot pink Valentino, like hot, hot pink, a huge A-line gown, ball gown. Oh, my goodness, with shades of Grace Kelly. I did not like your hair, Carrie. It did not go with the outfit. However, the dress was beautiful. Number two, another actor, Sienna Miller. She wore a really lovely oat-coloured, I think you'd call it the coloured colour of oats, uh, Gucci, which was just fantastic. And then the best one of all, by far, if you had the body, was the singer Lord, who wore... um, a jacket with nothing underneath, so there's just complete belly button and she doesn't have a huge cleavage but just sort of bare chest, which was amazing. This is by designer Emily Bode. I don't know Emily. But the dress, it was a coat and a skirt with a long, long train but, and it's in, a, it's in an off-white colour. But, Caro, it, it's all about um, repurposing fabrics and garments. So there's little patchworks Tiny, tiny though, because it, when you look at her, it does look ivory. Um, little, little coins, pressed pennies, little charms, lots of little things attached to it. It is. Have a look at it, and she wears a headdress. Reminded me of the one you wore on your wedding day, Caro, in 1989. It's a, it's a headdress with almost like liberty. Oh, it's you know, beautiful. Of liberty. Are Miss, you looking Miss, at it Miss now? Miss Jane's showing it to me. Oh, it's. Gee, it, but that, very nice of you to compare it to my on my wedding day, but that is oh, absolutely you look, you beautiful. Look like a prin- you look like a princess on your wedding day, Cara. But it, I just love I love the whole effect of it. I think it's 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 stylish, it's sexy, and it just is. It's all made of repurposed fabrics and garments, so I really love it. That that would be um, that's my number one. And Cara, what's the nicest thing that's happened to you in the past week apart from having a walk with me? Oh, well, it, it did happen on a walk. In fact, I probably should mention sharing that Alf Brown Award with Sam McClure on a night when Kelly Underwood became a life member of the Australian Football Media Association and Daisy Pierce won the best opinion analysis on footy and on, in the electronic media. It was pretty right up there. But I found a Nautilus Corrie and I found it by proxy. And, you know, we found, you, and, you found a couple with me in recent weeks and months on our walks but I was having a beautiful beach walk the other morning and I ran into two of our friends and they said oh we just saw a beautiful nautilus but it still had the squid in it so we threw it back into the water well you know me (laughs) I thought (laughs) (laughs) get out get out of my shell squid I thought those wimps um you know we, we all know how to we used to do it as kids me and my friend Michael Ramson I remember one October, oh, it must have been September, October, ripping squid out of Nautiluses and all that black ink. Anyway, by the time me and little Queenie went to the other end of the beach, guess what was floating in the, in just, you know, just at the shoreline as the tide was going out? Said Are you Nautil- sure you didn't have your wellies on and you were in there looking for it for an hour? No, no, that was the amount. I, I would have. I can't believe, I I can't believe you've, made it, you've made a squid homeless for the sake of the beautification of your home. But this is a story. This is the whole point of the story. The squid was gone. I didn't even have to perform the operation, Corrie. The Nautilus had lost its squid and there it was just waiting for me to pick it up. Good oh, luck with I, I know what that squid was saying. Jesus Christ, we've just seen Caroline Wilson. We better get out of here because she's going to rip us out. It wasn't a huge Nautilus. It fitted in my takeaway coffee cup so I could protect it, nurture it all the way home. And I'll send you a little photo of my mantelpiece, Corrie, so you can admire it from afar. But that was the nicest thing that happened to me. Corrie, it's always nice when you and I sit down and have a natter. Really enjoyed today. Really enjoyed getting to know Kate Roffey, president of the Melbourne Football Club. Thank you, Miss Jane. 
Thank you, Corrie. Thank you to Prince Wine Store. Thank you, Red Energy. Just remember, everyone, you can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. The email, of course, is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And I just wanted to share with everybody, Jane Carroll and I are absolutely thrilled. Miss Jane discovered an extraordinary thing about our podcast this week. We have now had a million downloads. Jane, would you like to take a bow and say um, a thank you for Congratulations, speech? ladies. I was so, I, I upload the podcast every week and there it was, just the round one million. And that's just since we moved to our new platform of Wooshka. So even the early potties, even more than that. But a million listens, can million you, can downloads. Can you explain what that means? So when you upload... <laughs> When you upload, you count Carol, the downloads. Carol, you're showing your age. I, I wouldn't yes. have a clue what she's talking about. When I upload, I can see how many people have downloaded the show. And I can also see that they're listening from all over the world. So sending big cheerios. I can see a little map, if I want to, of where there's listeners. So there's my cousin in Belfast. Hello, Suwan. There's your family in Amsterdam. Like You can actually see who's downloading from where. Well, not exactly who, but, you know, it pops up on a country map and we can see that a million downloads have uh, happened of the podcast in the last 189 or so episodes. So that's huge. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, listen, you know, can I just say a big thank you to everybody, everybody internationally in Australia, country Victoria and, of course, Melbourne. We just love our gang. We love your feedback. We love the fact that there's been a million listeners. Who would listen to us talk a million, a million times? Heaven knows. Well, well, we do give some good recommendations, Corrie, and sometimes we're quite interesting. In fact, if you want to, you know, be part be part of the um, the machine that is Don't Shoot the Messenger, please encourage people to introduce us to their friends and give us star ratings on Apple iTunes, etc. Whatever that means, Corrie. And Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the million messengers. <laughs> This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestyle with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.